Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Water Cooler. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon or whatever it is you may be watching this show. We'll get us uh, started off with the performance of the day. We're going to be looking back to 2009 bragging rights, Randy Orton versus John Cena in a 60-man Ironman match that was non-stop action for an hour, went by in what felt like 20 minutes. There was some awesome notice qualification moments. There was a choke out with the handcuffs, attitude adjustment on a steel cage or on a steel platform. It was just amazing match, brutal hardcore wrestling at its finest. Go check it out. That being said, today we've got a lot of stuff from all across the sports world to get into. We're going to start off with track star Noah Lyles starting probably the dumbest controversy I think I've ever seen on Twitter as far as the NBA is concerned, where after he set a record track uh, performance, he's in the history books right next to Usain Bolt, he oddly decides to start taking shots at the NBA, and he says what hurts him deep down inside. I believe he said what hurts the most is that the NBA champion is called the world champion, even though they only play against teams from the United States and one from Canada. So people have been debating all over the sports media landscape about is it right to call the NBA champions world champions or is it right to call the MLB championship the World Series. And it's kind of silly, but Logistically speaking, yes, Noah Lyles is correct that the world champion moniker is simply just hyperbole and it's attached to a national organization, but I really think people are making a mountain out of a molehill. People try to justify it by saying that the NBA champion or the MLB champion are the best basketball or baseball teams in the world. Therefore, that makes them the world champion. I mean, unless they actually go play the best team from the Japanese Baseball League or the EuroLeague Basketball, then you can't really say that for a fact, even if you strongly believe it. But I also think that it's silly of Noah Lyles to say to take such offense to a simple hyperbole. Obviously a sports league is in their best interest to market their teams as world champions just because it sounds better on paper. And if you look back to when the leagues actually started using those monikers, they kind of were the only real baseball leagues in the world or basketball leagues in the world. Therefore, if you were the champion in that league, you were the champion of the world in that sport. Nowadays, with international competition being as big as it is, it might make more technical sense to change it, but now it's just such an ingrained part of culture that nobody would want to see it, except for maybe a couple track stars. I know Shakuri Richardson got it on the action as well, backing up Noah Lyles. But... I like the historical value of sticking to what the champions have always been called. I mean, geez, could you imagine if they changed the World Series, how annoyed and upset baseball fans would be when 
It's been known as the World Series for over 115 years now, I think. This year might be the 100th anniversary or 120th anniversary of the World Series, actually. Let me fact check that, but I believe it started in 1903. Yep. This is indeed the 120th anniversary of the World Series. The first World Series was won by the Boston Red Sox against, or Boston Americans actually at the time, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's good to know some things never change. However, these uh, Pittsburgh Pirates were actually the same as the current Pittsburgh Pirates. I guess that would make the current Pittsburgh Pirates one of the longest running MLB teams with the same names of all time, which is impressive. But minor history lessons aside, I think Noah Lyles is making a mountain out of a molehill and he just wanted to get publicity for his accomplishment with, if that's what he was going for, he was more than right about that because he's gotten way more media attention from his stupid basketball take than he has from anything he's done in track. Which, I mean, track, I don't know what the reason is. It's just never been a mainstream sport, except for during the Olympics. It's like every four years, it has a massive jump in interest, and then nobody cares in the meantime. But a lot of NBA players took umbrage with what he said and spoke out on Twitter. Let's see. Uh, Kevin Durant said... Somebody help this brother. Draymond Green said, when being smart goes wrong. <laughs> Udonis Haslam told him to suck an ish. So, it's definitely caused a lot of inflamed anger online. And I think it's just funny to watch. But in other news, Joe Montana has recently also spoken out and gotten some notoriety for comments that he made this week to Men's Health Magazine. He was asked who he thought the best quarterback of all time was. And he did something which I think more and more people are beginning to do, and that's make a distinction between the best of all time and the greatest of all time. Now, I can't speak for Joe Montana, but I think thing at least when I do it in my head best of all time is looking at it from a pure talent aspect where greatest takes into account accolades and team success where I think best is just in a vacuum if you were a GM like who do you think who would you rather have on your team and so obviously he says that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time but he has Dan Marino as his best of all time which is interesting because Dan Marino is somebody who was wildly popular and renowned in the 90s, but in modern times, I guess, doesn't get the attention that many feel he's deserved just because he didn't win any championships. Actually, due to Joe Montana and the 49ers beating him in his one Super Bowl appearance. But pretty much what Montana said is that Joe Montana was a statistical beast in his prime, and he would only be even more so if he were put in today's game with more lenient rules or more uh, strict protections put in place 
to protect quarterbacks and uh, defensive players aren't allowed us to be as aggressive and hit as hard and do all that kind of stuff that they used to be able to get away with back in the 80s and 90s. And I think, I mean, he makes a good argument from a statistical standpoint. Dan Reno's definitely probably the most accomplished player, if not of all time, definitely in his era. And, I mean, he's right when he says that quarterbacks have a lot easier job now than they did back then. So, I mean, that's his opinion. He's one of the top five quarterbacks of all time, so he's entitled to it. But similar to Noah, Noah Lyles, a lot of people were very vocal against that. Some thought that he was taking a shot against Tom Brady. Others thought that he was crazy and that Patrick Mahomes is clearly the best quarterback of all time. And it really just depends on, one, how you define greatest and best because I love Tom Brady. I think he's by far the greatest football player of all time. And I would say he's the greatest American team sport athlete of all time. But if you t- it's hard to judge this because what makes Tom Brady so great is his intangibles, which he really only gets to put on display in the playoffs. But if we just look at him from a pure like draft combine, arm strength, statistics, like speed lateral movement, all that stuff, he doesn't hold up as well because he's just, the thing about Tom Brady is it's hard to pick what makes him great. It's, like I just said, it's his intangibles, his will to win. It's the fact that if you look at him, he looks like some random dude you would bump into at Walmart. Or, nah, Tom Brady, he looks like a Target guy. But... (laughs) Wherever grocery store you see him, he just looks like a regular dude. Anybody could be Tom Brady. At least that's what you think. It's his insane, like probably borderline psychotic drive to win that makes him so great. But from a pure talent standpoint, I think there are quite a few quarterbacks who you could say are better than Tom Brady just based on talent. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, the list goes on for maybe a couple more spots but I think that he Joe Montana wasn't trying to knock Tom Brady from what I read I think he was just trying to give some shine to Dan Marino and also just look at it and say he's the most talented of all time now as for Patrick Mahomes I think it's easier to look at what Dan Marino did in the era of more dominant defense and say if he could do that back then just imagine what he could do now it's easier to just okay this is his baseline we'll raise it because it would make sense that he would do even better in an era that's more favorable to the quarterbacks than it is to take Patrick Mahomes who's doing outstanding statistical numbers and try to figure out how he would hold up if you were to send him back in time. So I think it's a lot easier to project for Marino than it is for Mahomes. 
and it really just comes down to personal preference. But so that's what Joe Montana said that's gotten a lot of people talking. It seems like the big takeaway from sports news this week is that a lot of people have been talking to the media and it's getting them in hot water because Giannis was also speaking to the media this week and he said that he will be open to leaving Milwaukee if they don't show proper dedication to winning and I am sick and tired of seeing NBA players Giannis has two years left of his contract just completely throwing their weight around and holding teams hostage even if it's just subtly by threatening to leave or asking to leave or doing all this when their contract isn't even close to being up if I were the Bucks I would already start coming up with an exit plan for Giannis I'm not saying I would trade him but I would act as though he's already out the door because if he's already thinking about it and if you look at what he's talking about how they need to show proper dedication to winning they won a championship two years ago the reason they didn't win this year was partly due to Giannis that he didn't show up in the playoffs and they got beat by the heat again so if anybody if I'm in that organization and Giannis is talking about needing to show proper commitment to win a championship the first thing I'm doing is telling him to look in the mirror because he needs to figure out how to get a jump shot and not just fall to the ground whenever teams build a wall and make him shoot outside or maybe work on free throws that way when you do drive through that wall and get fouled you're not just throwing up air balls I mean if you look at I mean the big reason that the Bucks lost to the Heat too is that Chris Middleton was injured for most of last season so for Giannis to be blaming the Bucks for an alleged lack of interest in winning when all they've done is help him get the pieces around him that he needs they've got him one championship and he's part of the reason they keep continually coming up short it just seems disingenuous to me and it's just more examples that the NBA really needs to work on holding players accountable to the contracts they sign and not just letting them run wild and threaten to leave every time something goes wrong. So, I mean, that's just sad to see that Giannis is seemingly taking that path too. The Bucks recently just signed another one of his brothers. So it looks like they're trying to keep him as happy as they can. And look, I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA. So, I mean, all my criticism aside, like as far as, like we were just talking about with Joe Montana, as far as like best goes, Giannis is the most dominant player in the league. So if you can do what you can to keep him, then by all means do it. But don't put all your eggs in that basket that's already showing signs of having holes in it. In other news, CM Punk has been fired from AEW following the backstage altercation with Jungle Boy Jack Perry last week. Comes as no real surprise to anybody that's been keeping up with the situation. Apparently, in addition to choking out Jungle Boy, 
He also lunged at Tony Khan, the owner of the company. And anybody who thinks that you can threaten your boss with bodily harm and not get fired, unless you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, that kind of behavior will just not fly. I don't know what Punk was thinking. It seems to me like he's just paranoid and looking in every little direction to try to find some slight that he can take out on people and get up in arms over. But the last year, CM Punk has been his own worst enemy when it comes to turning the people in his own locker room against him, turning public perception partially against him, and just causing locker room disturbances. He keeps talking about wanting to work in a no-drama environment, and he's the one that's causing the drama. Now, Tony Khan went on AEW Collision last night and announced CM Punk's firing to a Chicago crowd, which I commend him for doing. A lot of times, wrestling companies will try to separate the backstage drama from the on-screen presentation, but in a situation like this where everybody that follows the business knows what's happening behind the scenes, it's just better to just be 100% and come out and address it and take it on the chin, whatever it is that happens. So kudos to Tony Khan for that. I think he made the right decision by firing CM Punk, who's been nothing but a detriment to their locker room for the last year. It's sad to see a return to wrestling that started off with so much promise, that being CM Punk's, just end in such a disgraceful way because of largely his own conduct. Now people are already saying that he might go to WWE if I'm Triple H or Vince McMahon, I don't want that in my locker room. They know they've got a lot going on as it is. Their deal with Endeavor to sell WWE should be finalized here in the next coming weeks. So the last thing they need is to take that big newsworthy announcement and overshadow it by signing CM Punk or CM Punk causing some big drama it's just not a headache they need right now. Maybe in two years, if they want to check in, see how Punk's doing, what headspace he's at, that wouldn't hurt. I don't think to at least see how he is, but at the moment, it's the last thing they need on their plate. Now, WWE ran Payback 2023 last night which saw a big return for Jay Uso, who was only off TV for two weeks after he supposedly quit. I was really hoping they would keep him off longer just to, you know, add to the realism of it, but here we are, 2023, everybody knows the scripted nature of it, so they don't even try anymore, but personally, I'm a fan of trying to keep it as real-ish as you can but Cody Rhodes reintroduced him to a big ovation. It'll be interesting to see where that plays out, if they'll just keep him away from the bloodline stuff going forward, or if the bloodline will start overlapping more with Raw. Who knows, we'll have to watch and see, but that was the biggest takeaway. That and the fact that John Cena made his big return on Friday and hosted the show. So 
on Saturday. So he should be back for a while because of the Hollywood screenwriter strike. We'll just have to see where that ends up going. He said he should be back for a while, so if he's going to be there, I would really like to see him pick up a feud with Cody Rhodes. I think they have a lot of history they could play off of with Cody Rhodes' days and legacy, where he was one of John Cena's bigger opponents. Obviously, Randy Orton was the leader of that group, but still, Cody Rhodes played a significant side role in that rivalry that could make for great television if they would reincorporate that and kind of bring back that history between the two of them. And also, it would just be a big money match and give Cody Rhodes something to do that would keep him in the public conscious and keep him at the main event while they wait for WrestleMania to roll back around where he can challenge Roman Reigns again. So that would be my pitch for how to deal with John Cena while they have him back. He had an appearance with LA Knight last night, so they might go that direction, but I would prefer Cody just to see John Cena in the main event again because he really hasn't had that much main event shine, as you would say, in a couple years. I know he wrestled Roman Reigns at SummerSlam last year, but aside from that, I can't think of any big major feuds that he's been a part of. Now, one last topic of discussion in the pro wrestling world is Edge is either already or about to become a free agent. And whether he'll go to WWE or AEW remains to be seen. But if I'm Tony Khan, after this CM Punk nonsense, I'm breaking the bank to bring in Edge and replace those bad publicity news stories with another big signing with a bigger star. So, we'll see how that pans out, but if Edge went to AEW, that would be massive. I would say he would probably be the biggest star that they've gotten at the time they've gotten him. Sting is obviously the biggest star on their roster, but he's also in his 60s. But finally, for this week, we'll get into college football. There wasn't a whole lot of new information gleamed. I mean, it was week one. Everybody knows week one is the worst week of the schedule. It's just a bunch of nothing teams. But for what it's worth, Alabama beat Middle Tennessee 56-7. Georgia beat Tennessee Martin 48-7. Deion Sanders' son went off as Colorado beat TCU. And that was easily the best game to watch yesterday. Uh, Shadur Sanders had 510 yards, four touchdowns, and completed 38 out of 47 of his passes. That's just video game numbers and a huge upset against the former representative in the national championship, which I think was ridiculous that they even got there to start with, but that's a different issue. I think prime time might be turning things around in Colorado. And the way he's working his way up the ranks, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him at a top program in the next probably 
seven to ten years. But obviously that's a long shot. UNC beat South Carolina. And that's really all the important games I can think of. You know, California and Stanford just joined the ACC, which I think is stupid. It just shows a show that conferences mean absolutely nothing anymore when it comes to college football. I mean, the Atlantic Coast Conference now has two Pacific Coast teams. Like, they really need to update their names or reshuffle who's in what conference because the entire NCAA system is just ridiculous as far as how they choose the playoffs, the standings. It's the sport that's gotten the farthest with the least amount of organization. But that being said, that's been the world of sports this week. So stay tuned for next week. we got a big week coming up with the real start of college football where we start to see good games and the first week of NFL. So stay tuned. We'll see you all next time.